This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on December 6th and December 9th. Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. This week we're going to take a closer look at a murder that happened in nearby Caldwell County in October that's drawn national press for its intersection of hot button issues, including stand your ground gun laws and anti-immigrant sentiment. Here to talk about the case is Austin Chronicle contributor Brant Bingaman, who reported on the case in this week's issue. Brant, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kim. I want to start with you letting us know, who was Adil Drury? Adil Drury was a 31-year-old immigrant from Morocco who came to America in 2012 and had been living in Austin for a little over a year at the time that he was shot, which was in October of this year. Okay, so let's just run through the facts as we understand them. I mean, this only happened two months ago. We're still trying to piece together what exactly did happen. But the facts as we know them of the murder of Adil. Yes, and here they are. And it's important to note that these come mainly from the man who shot Adil, whose name is Terry Turner. Most of this comes from the arrest report. And there was no one on the scene at the time except for Terry Turner and Adil. So, but what Turner says is that at about 3.30 in the morning, he got up to use the restroom at his house, which is about five miles east of San Marcos. And on his way to the bathroom, he noticed that there was a car sitting in his driveway with the lights off. And so he went to his bedroom, got his gun, a handgun, and came out of his house to confront the person, presumably. And at that point, As he left the house, according to him, once again, the car's lights were on and it was accelerating rapidly in reverse. Those are pretty close to the actual words used in the arrest report, accelerating rapidly in reverse. The car, he chased it. Into the street. Into the street. Okay. As the car backed out and turned, he came up to the window of the car. At that point, it was sitting perpendicularly to his driveway. According to the arrest report, he struck the window of the driver's side door twice and then fired his gun through the windshield, through the hand of the man who was inside, Adil, and the bullet went into Adil's brain. Then, again, according to Turner, we ran back inside, called the police. According to the dispatcher, he reported that Adil had raised a gun, and that's why he fired. But when police came to the scene and investigated, there was no gun. Okay, so that all happened that night. Terry Turner was not arrested that night. That's correct. He was not arrested. This was, again, it was 3.30 in the morning. The police came out. They were there until sunup. An ambulance took Adil to Kyle Seaton, where he died within about 12 hours, I believe. And Turner was not arrested. And in fact, an arrest warrant wasn't issued for another 10 days. 
interrupt me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is that Terry Turner's case, he is claiming stand your ground laws gave him the right. That is sort of what he's been cloaked in. That is the protection here. That's implicitly the case. Yeah. He hasn't spoken about the case and his lawyer isn't commenting on the case. Okay. And Caldwell County Sheriff's Department says that they're still investigating the case. They haven't concluded their investigation and handed it off to the DA, but they're expecting to wrap it up shortly, apparently. Okay. But yes, the stand your ground law is going to be the central issue in the case, what it actually means to stand your ground in Texas. And for listeners who don't know exactly what this is, can you give us sort of a rough sketch of what the stand your ground laws are? Yes. The stand your ground laws are laws that came about, gosh, I don't know exactly when they started to proliferate in the country. Maybe I should look that up. But Trayvon Martin was certainly, I think, the moment when nationwide we started to grasp what these things were. Exactly. That was a huge one. And so basically what it is, is if someone is attacking you or busting into your house, you can respond with proportionate violence. So, for example, if somebody attacks you in your car, at your house, say they come at you and they're beating you with their fists, it's legal for you to respond with a similar level of violence. It's not necessarily legal for you to whip out your gun and shoot them unless their fists are that powerful that they constitute deadly weapons. But of course, obviously, it's a huge gray area. But the reason that this is going to be such an interesting case is because, obviously, Adil was retreating. Mm -hmm. He wasn't attacking. He didn't have a gun. And, you know, by Turner's own admission, he chased him, chased him off his property, in fact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a million things could happen at a trial, but it doesn't look like a legitimate case of standing his ground. It doesn't look like that. So another one of the reasons why this particular case has drawn national attention is that from the outsider's perspective, it seems as if the assumption here was that the wrongdoing was ideals and that Terry Turner was in the right to chase after him and defend his place. And essentially the fact that Adil is an immigrant, there are concerns that that has played into police's reluctance to take this case more seriously. And from what I gather from your story is there is a coalition of people who have made certain that this case does not just go away. Yeah, it's two people in particular. It's Adil's girlfriend, who's a woman named Sarah Todd, who lives a mile away from where he was shot, and his brother, Otman Drory. And after Adil was killed, they got together and they started reaching out to media outlets and they started calling everybody they could. And pretty quickly thereafter, an organization in San Marcos called Mano Amiga learned about the case and started advocating on behalf of Adil. We neglected to mention, because I'm sure we can all imagine if we looked out in our driveway at 3.30 in the morning and saw a strange car there, it would be alarming. Has there been speculation as to why Adil was in the driveway? Yeah, his girlfriend, Sarah Todd, believes that he just got lost. But it wasn't unusual for him to be up at that time of the night because he was working as an Uber driver. And so he was accustomed to being up late at night. 
and he was accustomed to driving around a bunch. He was using Sarah Todd's car. She was allowing him to use her car. And she believes that he was coming back to her house, got lost, and wound up in that little neighborhood over there, just north of Martindale. But again, there were only two people there that night. But there is one other detail to point out, which is, according to Sarah Todd, a detective at the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office said that they had found Adil's phone and it was open to a GPS app and it had her address in the search field. Had her address? Sarah Todd's address? Yes. As though he had stopped, entered her address into his phone and then was preparing to go there. Right, which would lend more credence to the idea that he was lost and was just yes. stopped in order to try to find his way back home. Right. But to address your question, yeah, it would be disquieting to see somebody parked in your driveway. But according to Sarah Todd, he was looking for her house. So let's go back to the efforts of Mano Amiga, Sarah Todd, Adil's brother, that there are lots of people also that Mayor Pro Tem and Martindale has taken an interest in this case, that they're sort of beating the drum to make sure that people know what's going on here and hold whoever should be held accountable and making sure that police are taking this seriously. But in your reporting, you spoke to Adil's brother and and he seemed to suggest that the Caldwell County District Attorney did not give him much hope or was trying to lower his expectations, basically. Is, Is that the right read? Yeah, that's exactly what they were telling me. They felt, both Sarah Todd and Atman, felt that the authorities are trying to sweep the killing under the rug. And Sonia Villalobos, the Martindale mayor pro tem, also observed this dynamic. So, you know, that was part of the reason why they organized the vigil that they had for Adil on October 24th. That was the reason they organized the vigil for Adil on October 24th. They wanted to bring attention to the case and they wanted to honor his life. But yeah, they were very concerned about the fact that Turner wasn't arrested initially, and they really think that it's quite possible he wouldn't have been arrested. I mean, who's to say, but that was their fear. So what's happening with the investigation now? Do we know anything? Are police being transparent about this? Or Well, of course, they're not going to talk about the investigation. Sure. But they did say, the public information officer for Caldwell County Sheriff's Office did say that they're expecting to finish their investigation shortly. And at that point, it'll be handed off to the district attorney. And as you mentioned, Ottman Drury in his interview with us said that the district attorney, Fred Weber, has attempted to lower his expectations regarding any potential trial. He said that he may offer, once the grand jury is impaneled, which should happen in the next three months, they'll be looking at you know, first degree murder charges, but the district attorney is also going to offer lesser charges in case they can't agree on first degree murder, like manslaughter. Is there any chance that it could be taken out of the county? I have no idea. (laughs) It's unlikely. Well, Brant, thanks for coming on the show and talk to us about this case. I know a lot of people are really interested in it, and I hope you'll come back and brief us on it as it develops. Thanks, Kim. All right. We are going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show on Co-op Community Radio. 
So my next guest is a name that longtime Chronicle readers are going to recognize. If you were a music fan between 2007 and 2011, then his column Off the Record was probably the reason you were picking up the paper every week. Austin Powell, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. It's good to see you again. So Austin, you have a feature in this week's issue where you sat down with two members of two bands who are really on the short list of the most important slash instrumental bands around. So tell us who the bands are. Give us their origin story. Yeah, the two bands are Explosions in the Sky and Balmeray. And I would zoom out further. So I would say not only the two of the most important bands, but when talking about Explosions, I would say one of the most definitive bands in Austin music history, period. Honestly, I think they're one of the most important bands in indie rock of the last 25 years. When I listen to Explosions, I just hear their sound everywhere now, and not just in commercials and TV shows, but just in kind of texturally, I, I feel like what they accomplished, it just has resonated throughout so many other records and so many other bands. And so for me, that's kind of where this story came from. You know, every new Explosions in the Sky record is an event for me. You know, it's, it's a reason to check back in and see what's going on with them. It had been, I think, at least five years since their last record, seven since their last soundtrack. And it, this is a cool opportunity to just kind of see where they're at, where this one in particular came from, because it was a little bit different than some of their previous work. And I, I was excited to be able to just kind of expand that conversation by bringing in Balmeray as well. Right. And I think listeners who are like, I've never heard of Explosions in the Sky, even if you don't think you ever heard of them, you've definitely heard them. And in particular, you know, their soundtrack work is, I think, what a lot of people know them from. Yeah, there's this great point in the interview where Rob says to Chris, Rob from Balmeray says to Chris, the drummer of Explosions, you guys basically created the sound of football. He was referencing all of their work on Friday Night Lights. And yeah, when you think about these kind of big climactic moments happening in TV or elsewhere, like there's that just kind of explosions feeling to it now. So yeah, I, I venture to guess if you don't think you know it, you know it. It's a feeling. It's, it's instant. I mean, I think sometimes I just sort of have like, the, you know what it is? It's the sound of a heart swelling for me. Like just that feeling of watching Friday Night Lights and like something big is happening or something in football is happening that I literally do not understand. But the music is telling me like, this is huge. They have a new album or an album that came out in the spring kind of a different deal. And I want us to listen to a little of it before we switch to the other band, but why don't you set up what this new album is? Sure. So they wrote the original soundtrack for Big Ben. It's an episode of the PBS series, Nature, long running show. Chris made a joke in the interview. It's like, this wasn't a Ken Burns special. You know, this is a low stakes. It's a one hour episode. But it is a really fun watch. It's not what you expect. I'm sure most of many of you listeners have been to Big Ben. The film is not about like the grandeur and, and you know, it really zooms in on these unique, weird little creatures that live there. It's all these funny, quirky, lighter moments. That's not what you expect from explosions in the sky. You expect them to capture the canyons and the sky and, you know, these epic sunsets and, you know, that feeling of reaching the summit. And, and there's a bit of that there, but it's really kind of in these like smaller, quieter, more intimate moments that they really shine in this documentary. So it's an interesting watch. 
And what they did for this record is they took all of those little snippets and they expanded them into kind of fuller compositions. So the full record comes out at over an hour. And yeah, I would love to cue one up for the listeners. Yeah, why don't we listen to, I think it's the first track off of this album. And I don't, Chisos, does that sound right? That sounds right. I've never actually had to pronounce it either. Fingers crossed. All right, let's listen to <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of this track. So I should say we're listening to Explosions in the Sky. That was the first track off of their album Big Bend, an original soundtrack for public television. This album absolutely stands on its own, but I should admit I've been experiencing it on YouTube where they have clips from the series up, and it really adds to just this sort of magical, you know, nature, nature, nature feeling. It's really terrific. And all of us have been locked inside for a year. Watching that, listening to it, it's a nice reminder to like, just go out on a walk. If if you can't get all the way to Big Ben, just get outside with some headphones on. So I think that that's a pretty good segue there to switch to the other band that you interviewed simultaneously. Because also, I think that nature awesome landscapes are really sort of baked into their sound as well. Yeah. And that's kind of where this idea came from. I'm not just doing kind of a, a traditional Q&A, but I'd always kind of heard and seen and felt these parallels between Explosions in the Sky and Balmeray, which is named for a, a state park out in West Texas. So there's already that kind of tie to Big Ben. They've spent a lot of time out in that area. You know, Explosions in the Sky had, had Friday Night Lights, Balmeray had a show called Rectify that they worked on a lot, had the opening theme to. Both have kind of had to navigate this world of indie rock while existing with pretty much completely outside of it at, at the same time. And and yeah, their, their music really lends itself to landscapes and to, you know, more kind of contemplative states. And that's definitely true of their new album, which is called The Wind. And it is worth noting, I think, that you know this record was released in February, but due to many circumstances, they're just now getting to actually celebrate it properly. So they're having their record release finally on Friday, December 17th at the Paramount. Well, and jumping back even farther than that, they recorded in 2019, right? That's right. And in the full interview, which is available at austinchronicle.com slash music, which has the entire hour-long conversation. They talk about how it's, it's hard for them to even think back that far, you know, that it feels just not not only like a different era of the band, just like a different time in the world to have kind of gone all the way through that process. And then, and now here we are. Well, I want to listen to a clip from the album. And in particular, there was one that you described to me that it made you melt. <laughs> Did I set that up right? I mean, these guys make me melt a lot, but this song in particular captures the essence of this record, the essence of Balmeray, which really comes down to two guys, Michael Moeller and Rob Lowe, and what they're able to just do to each other. They have such a sense of intimacy in their music, their ability to kind of play off of each other, to mirror each other, to reflect each other. This song, it starts with just two guitars. It swells a little bit towards the end, but you listen to it and it's it's like you know two footprints in the snow just walking beside each other it's it's lovely all right let's listen to a little bit from the wind this is the myth that's really lovely <laughs> it is 
Obviously, these two bands, I guess Belma Ray came into being after Explosions, but obviously they've known of each other. Belma Ray cites Explosions as an influence. What's the relationship like, especially now as both bands are, you know, evolving, getting older, having families? They're both different kinds of bands now. They are. And that was one of the interesting turns in, in the conversation, I think, is when we really kind of talk about their struggle to right now and what their process looks like. Both are dealing with kind of issues of space and time. Rob just welcomed his first child from Balmeray and Michael, his, his counterpart, had moved to LA about a year ago. So for the first time, they are kind of trying to figure out how to make their different worlds work and having to be a lot more intentional about their work together. And the same is definitely true of Explosions in the Sky. I didn't actually realize going into this that they are much more removed these days. There's a member out in California. There's a member in Chicago. I think all of them have kids except for Chris, the drummer, who I had the pleasure of speaking with. And it was interesting talking with Chris because you know he's one of the guys in Austin. And first thing he says is, you know, I'm just the drummer. And what he's getting at there is that he's kind of in a reactive state. He's not, you know, on the guitar making melodies. So he's the one without kids. He's the drummer. So he's kind of like waiting for these opportunities to create because he's he's responding and he's adding to it. And, you know, I could really kind of sense that I wouldn't say tension, but just that unique circumstance of just waiting and wanting almost a, a nostalgia for the simpler times of the band when they could just go out into the desert for a week and get lost and think about music. And we talked a bit about that, you know, their, their definitive record. And, and in my mind, at least, the earth is not a cold, dead place. They went out and, and they rented a house in Midland, I believe. And then they would drive out to Monaghan's Sandhill State Park and, and at night and, and just kind of listen to records and geek out and stare at the sky. And, and that had a big impact on the sound of that record. And, you know, Chris kind of laments in the, in the interview. It's like, yeah, those days are kind of behind us. You know, there are kids, there are logistics. It gets harder and harder for many reasons to just kind of create as, as you get older. So they definitely have to evolve their process. and. I think it all comes back down to, like I said, being much more intentional about their work together. Well, and they both talk a little bit about just during the pandemic that it's been a struggle to create. Yeah, absolutely. I think motivation is one thing, but also just thinking out the timelines of it all. You know, this record's going to maybe come out in a year and who knows where we're going to be at or what we're going to feel like. Well, Austin, we're running out of time, but any last thoughts for our listeners about these two terrific records? I would say that both of these records are meant to be experienced. Put your headphones on and get outside. These are albums that are kind of inspired by nature. They're inspired by these big Texas landscapes. And, you know, do what you can to try to appreciate that. And, and, and thank you again so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Austin, it's been terrific to see you again. And I'm so glad you're on the air and in the paper repping Austin bands again. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. And that is going to do it for another episode of the Austin Chronicle show. Thanks to my guests, Brant Bingaman and Austin Powell, and to our show engineers, Bob Daly and Andrew Solon. And thanks as always to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. 
We let Balmoray have the transition music in between segments, so we're going to give the honor of our exit music today to Explosions in the Sky, and we're going to listen to one of those playful songs that Austin was referring to. This is Woodpecker by Explosions in the Sky. We'll see you all next week.